We are continuing our series here of missing pieces. We had done a a flyby in the book of, of, of the whole Bible in the spring, and we wanted to come back and fill in some missing pieces. So we're in this little gem of a book called Habakkuk. It's a, one of the minor prophets, minor, not because their message is minor, it's just the content is smaller than the major prophets. And so we're going to read uh, most of chapter 3. So if you would find in your Bible Habakkuk, just turn to your table of contents, find it, and then don't flip through the Bible because you'll have a hard time getting there. And then Exodus chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, so second book of the Bible. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 786. So we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 6. Habakkuk is a, a man trapped in evil times. Um, the, in the um, book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote this, As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall uninspectedly upon them. So Habakkuk's born just like you and I, and he grows up and he, he sees... I'm trapped like a bird in a net. I'm trapped in evil times. This is the this is my life. I can't get into a different time, but I feel like I'm trapped in evil times, and I'm confused. I'm concerned, and so most of that comes out in these three chapters, and we'll cover uh, the second part of that in chapter three. So let's stand together. Let's begin with Exodus chapter six, reading these three verses from six, seven, and eight. <clears throat> Uh, Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, this is God speaking to Moses, and then Moses is going to say this to the people who have come out of Egypt to, to remind them of these things. I am the Lord, and I will bring you up out up from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you to, my, to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Then Habakkuk chapter 3. Let's begin with 1 through 6. Or let's get back up to verse 20 in chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the earth, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there was, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Then going to verse 13. 
You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear... And my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. Songs have a unique way of, of marking special occasions. We all know this. If you go to a graduation, you hear, you hear the same song at every graduation. And, and if you ever hear pomp and circumstance, you, you think back to your own graduation. Uh, every romantic couple has a song. You know, the, the first song they dance to or the song of the the decade that they were in love and they just hear it on the radio you hear it on your your station whatever it is for me it's 99.9 and you know when the commodores come on I'm right back right back there because it's a song it marks a special occasion and, and the song kind of carries you back to a, a particular moment you you have a birthday you sing a song just remembering something about that moment Francis Scott Key, he wrote a song, and he was remembering a, a remarkable occasion, a remarkable moment when the, the British were, attack, uh, were attacking Fort McHenry. And, and even through all the bombs that were red glaring, he, he saw the, the star-spangled banner still waving. And so we sing the song in some ways remembering that moment with him. And the Bible is a book of full of special occasions, and not surprisingly, songs are attached to those special occasions. In fact, when, and when God brought Eve to Adam at the very first wedding, the very first words of the Bible that were human words were Adam singing about Eve coming to be his bride. So the very first human words were a song because it's marking this special occasion. Eve has come into the world. Eve has come into my life. And I can't just say something. I have to sing something. And so when you hear those words, it's marking this special occasion. When, when, when Moses brings the people out of Egypt, he crosses the Red Sea. He has a song. And his sister Miriam, she sings a song. And, and the people of Israel always remember the song because they're remembering this great rescue, this great exodus event. The Gospel of Luke, if you remember this around Christmas time, is the first two chapters is practically a hymnal. Because everybody who knows something about the birth of Christ, you can't just say something about it. You have to sing about it. 
So Mary has to sing about it. The angels have to sing about it. Simeon, he has to sing about it. Zechariah, he's singing about it. All these songs just in two chapters because it's marking a very special occasion. An, an interesting sermon series would be the songs of the Bible. And you would just take, you know, you go through the Bible and pick out special songs. And, and if I were going to do that, I would pick out chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Because it's a song. Habakkuk is marking a special occasion. He's, he's been the bewildered prophet for two chapters. He, he's caught in evil times. He, he's been wrestling with God. And he's, he's trying to figure out how to learn to trust in God even in the middle of evil times. He's trying to say, hey, when evil times don't dissipate and I've got to stay in them, I've got to live in them, how can I rejoice in the middle of that? Not when it's over, but in the middle. And so Habakkuk learns how to sing even when life doesn't make sense, which is the title of the sermon. And and apparently Habakkuk's uh, uh, sense of... um, of desperation in this moment and this breakthrough with this song, he believes it has universal application because if you look at the very last verse in chapter 3, it says to the choir master with stringed instruments. You see that? So he's saying, hey, I've gone through something. I've arrived at a particular point that other people are going to want to sing about. It's going to have a, a universal application. This This emotional personal journey of Habakkuk is also going to be one that every faithful man or woman of God will enter into. And this song may help them as they try to sing in the midst of evil times. We, we understand how this happens. 1770, John Newton wrote a hymn of personal reflection. It's just a personal song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But here we are, 245 years later, we sing it. And don't you sing it about yourself? You're, you're making the application to yourself. But here's a personal man's poem, and he writes it, but he knows, and you know, hey, it has wider application. This is every person's journey with the Lord. You, you understand that you really were a wretch. And grace saved a wretch like you. And so Habakkuk is in that space. He understands this song is going to have wider application. And we're going to take some of those applications for ourselves this morning. But let's, let's just review. So in case you've missed the first two chapters of our walk with Habakkuk, Habakkuk lived in these evil times. The, 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 the nation of Israel, really Judah, is coming to a close. He's like a, a doctor at a bedside and he's watching the last gasps of this patient, the patient known as God's people. And during the first two chapters, he's had this remarkably frank dialogue. It's a prayer with God. And and it starts out immediately with just a complaint. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer that just started out, God, I'm I'm really just going to start complaining. I mean, maybe that's not the best way. You know, maybe it would be better the Lord is my shepherd or... But today... I just have a complaint. I don't understand why you're silent in the middle of evil times. You have to be, you have to be seeing what's going on. 
in a nation, in a life. And, and you're not doing anything. And I don't get that. And so Habakkuk has this sort of raw prayer in the beginning of his, of his uh, chapter 1. And he's frustrated with God's silence. But then God answers him. And he says, well, I'm going to answer you. But, you know, you're not going to believe it even if I tell you. And Habakkuk's like, I'm so tired of you being silent. Just tell me. And so God tells him what's he going to do. And Habakkuk says, yeah, I don't believe it. It's like, well, I told you. You weren't going to believe it if I tell you. And what's happening is the somewhat evil Israelites are going to be overrun by the terribly evil Babylonians. And he's like, I I thought we needed help over here. We needed somebody to come in and help us. But I didn't think you would take terrorists into our country and discipline us in that way. And the somewhat bewildered Habakkuk turns into the completely bewildered Habakkuk. And now he's really complaining. And so he has a second complaint. And then God answers him in chapter 2. And then here we come to to chapter 3. The the way I sort of had a picture of it is Habakkuk the prophet, he's sort of running after God. And he's he's on God's tail. And he's saying, "I, I don't get why you're silent. I don't understand why you're not doing anything in evil times. And he's sure of exactly how God's going to respond when he does respond. He knows that God's going to act in a certain way. And when God turns around and acts, he runs over the prophet. The prophet gets flattened by the person he's following. And so at the end of chapter 2, he's flattened. I've been run over by the Lord that I've trusted. And not everybody's in that place, but most everybody gets to that place at some point in their life. You you are so sure because you really, really wanted it that that's what God wanted. And it turns out he does a 180 on you. And then you're really bewildered. And so here in chapter 3, what we see is Habakkuk turns a corner. His circumstances don't change, and this is key, but his attitude changes. He doesn't wait to sing when his circumstances change, because everybody can sing when things get better. But he starts singing in the middle of these evil times. And here's four things that we're going to learn from Habakkuk's song that we can apply for ourselves. First, we want to see his silence. This is the first step in learning how to sing when life doesn't make sense. Silence. Second, the silence leads to a different perspective. Then the third thing is fear and faith, how those things are mixed together. And then the final thing, which will be a separate sermon next week, is a fight for joy. Verse 17, 18, and 19, which we didn't read this morning. So we're going to look at these three things. Silence leading to a different perspective. And then how to have fear and faith. Understanding that those two things often are together. Uh, Let's look at each one of those things in turn. If if you look back at chapter 2, verse 20 you'll see this uh, conclusion. 
the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. After two solid sessions of complaining by Habakkuk, God finally turns to Habakkuk and says, be quiet. I mean, he's embraced the complaining, which is a good thing to see that, that this man of God can complain. He's frustrated. He's disillusioned. He's built bewildered. But finally, and you don't know God's tone here, but he just turns around and is like, be quiet. Can you just be silent? And Habakkuk has to learn what we read from Psalm 46. Even if the earth gives way, and even when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, in other words, even when all the things that I built my life on, my, my family, my church, my career, my stature, my health, whatever it is, when all of those things get washed away, I will not be afraid. I will be still. And I will know that God is God. So Habakkuk has to learn this discipline. To, to, to slow down, to complete silence, and stop saying anything. And trust that in the silence, God is God. My wife, Nancy, teaches special education. She does it in different kind of grades and ages and math and language and history and English, all this kind of stuff. And, of course, she's trying to help the kids understand the actual subject But you know that a lot of times the problem with the kid isn't just the subject, it's themselves. It's not I'm good at math, I'm just not good at self-control. And if you had better self-control, you'd be able to pay attention and you'd be better at math or better at English. She has this wonderful little kid's book. The title is, My Mouth is a Volcano. And it's about, obviously, self-control. And so... You may know somebody like this, and I don't want you to look like to your right or to your left. We're trying to be a family here. You don't need to elbow. Hey, I think, listen up, it's about you. But, but in other words, the kids have to learn to listen, and they have to stop talking. And, and you might say the first two chapters of Habakkuk, Habakkuk has been a volcano. He's been erupting for for two chapters. And although God seems to be fine hearing the complaints, he he understands that in the end, Habakkuk's really complaining that God's not running the universe very well. And so God finally says, be quiet. See, See, Habakkuk, just because you don't see what's going on doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. Just because things aren't working out like you want them to work out doesn't mean they're not working out how I want them to work out. So so you can just get off the sovereignty throne. I can take that space. And you just be quiet and, and be silent and know that even though you're not doing anything, I'm still in control of all this situation, even in evil times. Dallas Willard writes this excellently about the spiritual discipline of silence. He says this, we find complete silence shocking because it leaves us with the impression that nothing is happening. 
And in our world, what could be worse than that? What could be worse than nothing happening? Silence is frightening because it strips us of nothing that strips us as nothing else does. Think what it says. Listen to this. Think what it says about the inward emptiness of our lives. If we must always turn on the iPod television or be texting each other just to make sure something is happening around us. We've always got to have something happening around us. If I'm standing in line, I've got to pull out my phone. I've got to have some kind of dialogue, some kind of thing, because it makes me feel like something's happening. But if I'm in absolute silence, I'm stripped of all those things. And for a moment, I'm not running anything. And it helps Habakkuk understand that, that he's not in control. The, the, the silence helps Habakkuk jettison the need to be sovereign. Some of us here were a volcano. You're always erupting. Now, it may not be your mouth is a volcano, but your mind might be a volcano. You're always trying to seize control. You're always trying to, you're, always, you're never in the moment. You're always ahead trying to manage and manipulate and get things to work out. And, and I don't want to say that's all bad, but what happens if you don't have a good guardrail on that? Your life is a volcano. Always erupting, trying to take control of things. And Habakkuk would want you to know, God would want you to know, be quiet. Fifteen seconds of silence, researchers say, is the maximum amount of silence a crowd can handle. Just somebody feels like I've got to say something, got to do something. Our lives are like a volcano. And God's trying to tell us, I'm sitting on my throne. I'm in complete control, even in the middle of evil times. This silence leads to the second thing, an adjustment of perspective. The the first two prayers and the first two chapters are really great gifts because it helps you realize in your frustration you can actually come to God. You don't have to come just with the plastic, you know, prayer. You can say, I'm coming, I'm frustrated, I'm complaining, I don't understand what's going on. But if you read closely in these first two prayers, what you learn is that Habakkuk is primarily praying from his perspective. Hey, God, I see things going down here, and it's like you need to tell God, I, you know, I'm sure you're busy and you don't see it, but let me help you out. Here's a perspective maybe you don't have. And so in this third prayer, in this third chapter, Habakkuk shifts perspective. And his primary focus shifts off of himself and on to God. Verse 2, chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. The NIV says it this way. Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. I'm changing my perspective. I've been spending my whole time thinking about myself or my country. 
or my people. And now I'm shifting my perspective to you. To you, I've heard a report about you. I'm standing in awe of your deeds. And so during this silence, Habakkuk concedes or concludes that more than anything else, he wants God's work to succeed. See, this is a great prayer when you're in that frustrating, confusing time. Because you can constantly just say, I'm frustrated and confused, and God, this is how I want it to work out. And Habakkuk shifts in perspective to say, God, this is what I want, but what I want more than anything else is what you want. And it might not be what I want. It might be 180 degrees from what I want. And even if you flatten me in the process, I want that. That's a tough prayer. You learn that in silence. That doesn't come all at one moment. This shift in perspective is is critical if we're going to make any advance with the Lord. When Zachary, my son, was young, we went out to camp. It was our first night camping on Masonboro. And so, I don't know, he's three or four or something like that, and... You know, we set up the tent, and we have the boat on one side, and we're kind of near the beach side, and it's 9 o'clock, the sun's gone down, and I said, you know, hey, let's just check on the boat one more time, make sure it's still in the bright place in case something happens, get back in the boat, and so we walk, you know, sort of through the dunes and down the path, and and as we start walking, you know, I have the flashlight, he said, uh, hey, can I have the flashlight? Yeah, can can I lead? Sure. I'd like to be the dad now. Okay. So he's walking out in front. And all these little, you know, the little ghost crabs are coming out. And as a good dad, I felt it necessary to pick up a sea oat. I didn't break one off. It was just laying there. And when he wasn't looking, what did I do with a stick with the sea oats? I mean, this is what every dad must do to his son. I ran it across his foot. Well, he jumped out of his bathing suit, right? It was so fascinating what he did. Handed me the, hat, the flashlight, stood right behind me and says, you be the dad now. See, some of us need to say that this morning. You be the dad now. We've spent most of our Christian life grabbing the flashlight and saying, I'd like to be the dad. And God, I'd like you to affirm all the ways, all the paths I'm going to go. And God's not going to do that. Mercifully, he's not going to do that. And some of us, we just can't. You may just come just today to hear God say to you, that's what you need to do. You need to look at me and say, you be the dad now. It's not my will. I have desires. I might get flattened, but you're the dad. You're holding the flashlight. I'm going to go on the path that you're going to go on. And silence brings this different kind of perspective. And then I want us to just see just briefly here in these verses 3 through 13 or 3 through 15 
how this perspective changes, because this is a critical thing. Silence brings an opportunity for perspective. But in these 14 verses, we see something very interesting. And Habakkuk, all the language seems very wooden. If you just read it, you're thinking, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. But all of the language is a reference to the Exodus event. Verse 5, pestilence and plagues. Verse 11, sun standing still. Verse 13, God goes out for the salvation of his people. He crushes the head of the wicked. Verse 15, God tramples the sea as if he has the power to part the seas. And so what Habakkuk is doing in this song is he's remembering an event that happened 900 years ago. And he's remembering how faithful God was to his people in the most evil time and saying, because he's been faithful at that point, I'm going to trust him now. You see, for the Old Testament believer, the Exodus was the most spectacular event of rescue. And so he, the Exodus is the, the central a story for the Israelite. This is where they get their identity. This informs them of the critical concepts of who God is. When, when they think back about the Exodus, they remember that God is sovereignly in control of all the creation through the plagues. God demonstrates his rule over the most powerful military and political leader, Pharaoh. God reveals his name to his people. I am. I'm Yahweh. You can call me by name. We have that kind of of intimacy. And so if you just would remember Exodus 6, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own. I will be your God. You will call me by name, and I will bring you into a great land. Habakkuk is remembering all those promises and saying, I live in evil times, but I'm trusting a God that in that evil time can still produce things here. Okay, so how does that apply to us? We live in at least uncertain times. What's the, what's the central spectacular event that gives us our identity? It's a different exodus. It's a different rescue. And what is it? We look back and think about the evil times on a Friday and a Saturday when everything seemed to be falling apart, when, when hell seemed to be winning. And out of this evil times, a spectacular rescue event happened. Christ lived. He died. He, he rose from the grave. And that gives us our identity. So when we find ourselves in evil times, we're reflecting back on that and saying, because I know God did that in that moment, I can still trust him in my dark moment here. See, when Jesus stood up and calmed the storm, he was saying, I'm in control of all weather events. When Jesus looks at Satan in the wilderness and says, be gone, Satan flees, because Jesus has that kind of power. 
When Jesus looks at Herod and says, you don't have any control over me except for what God, my father, has given you. He's saying, I'm in control of all military power. When Jesus comes out of the, out of the tomb, he says, I'm in control of death. And when he goes back to his father and right before he leaves, he says, I'm coming back for you. You remember that in evil times. And say, that's my hope. Not circumstances. Certainly you can have frustrations and anger and disappointment. But what gets you through those times this time? Because this is the river in which feeds your soul a stream. That allows you to stand forever. Especially... During evil times. I was talking to somebody last week. Here. But right before church. And they were saying. You know. This big event is happening in their lives. And they're getting nervous about it. They had prayed for it. They had wanted it. But you know how when you pray for something. And want something. And then it happens. And you're like. Oh my gosh. It's happening. And then you, you start backing up. Like do I really want this to happen? And that's where they are. They were like, okay, now, now it's, it looks like it's going to happen. And I'm, I start f- feeling myself getting tense and anxious. And I was recently with a friend, is what she was saying. I was recently with a friend. And I was just recalling out loud all the ways God has been faithful up until this moment. And as I recalled all the ways God had been faithful, I noticed that all of my anxiety began to drain out. And at the end, I thought... Why am I anxious about this moment? See, when the Bible says count your blessings, name them one by one. Part of that practice helps drain out anxiety and worry and fear. Because you can trust in a Lord who's going to make good on his promises. Let's end here on this third point, fear and faith. Verse 16, this is my favorite verse in the whole book. For 14 verses, let's go back, chapter 2, verse 20, Habakkuk saying, finally, I'm going to be silent. Then for 14 verses, he recalls all this great history that God has been faithful in. And so you get the feeling he's he's turned this big corner. And this is really what I love about verse 16. I hear, what does it say? And my body trembles. See, I would have thought he would have said, I hear and I'm rock solid. But that's not what he says. Why? That's not reality. I hear, but I'm still going to have to face this painful moment. So I'm trembling. And it says, my lips quiver at the sound. I'm, I'm trembling. My legs are trembling beneath me because I know, I know this difficult day is ahead of me. And the reason this is so encouraging is because he's saying that, that we can, we can be joyful and singing and still be afraid at the same moment. And to me, that's so helpful. Because sometimes you might think, look, look, if, if I'm afraid, then that means I'm not at peace. So I can't be both. And Habakkuk says, hey, you can be both. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Because you see what Habakkuk's doing? He's not asking you to read chapter 3 and go out and be strong and have this plastic smile on your face when you're actually going to face a very difficult moment. He understands still at that moment, you might be standing there with your knees knocking together. But you can rejoice and sing in the middle of your knees knocking together. And to me, that's very comforting. So this fear and this faith work together. That the joy of the Lord can happen concurrently with confusion and sorrow. The joy of the Lord can work concurrently with your confusion and sorrow. It's such a favorite verse because it's not plastic. It's not religious. Habakkuk knows people are going to sing this song for hundreds of years. And yet they can continue to come and quietly and confidently wait and trust in the Lord. So you, you may be facing this kind of evil time. Personally, you may feel it in a city. You could feel it in a nation. You could feel it in our world. There was a, I don't even know what newspaper or magazine, it was a cover of the, of the American flag waving. It was all shredded. Uncertain times in our country. But you can have that feeling of your life. It's up there flying, but it's really shredded. How do you live in that moment? Well, at least what we learned from Habakkuk today, you have to sit silently and say, God's in control. He's the dad now. Changes your perspective. You're not looking at just things from your perspective. You're saying, God, you have a totally different perspective than I do. And I want that perspective more than I want my perspective. And then you sing, it's okay for your knees to knock together at the same time. Because if you face an uncertain time, that's a tough thing. Habakkuk understands that. God understands that. Let's pray together. Lord, all of us at some point desperately needed this song from Habakkuk. And we're so grateful that you've given it to us. I pray for those who have that kind of fear or anxiety or uh, need to, to, to be in control for those whose lives are a volcano, that, that their lives would completely take on a reversed role. They would hand you back the flashlight of their life, stand behind and say, you be the dad now. Whatever that may mean, I'm trusting in you. But I pray that especially for our leaders in our churches and around our country with this uncertain times, people that would step into that leadership role would have this, this framework in their mind. To, to, to move a whole nation forward through evil times. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.